morning, everybody. I forgot to say one more thing. I wanted to tell you guys something about uh, just a real practical thing, and then we're going to get on to uh, more important matters here. But if you, ever, if you would like an easier way, if you're somebody who regularly gives to church uh, financially and uh, gives to the Lord like that through Pansy Chapel, and if you would like an easy way to do that, and you would like to rather do automatic withdrawals instead of writing a check or handling cash, you're welcome to do that. We have that available, and there are... Uh, forms in the back info counter, or send an email to Kendra. She might hate me for saying that, but uh, uh, there are, that is a possibility. I just want to throw that out there. I want to talk, we've been talking about, what, what's our series of messages that we're working on? We're working on a series of messages about vision. We're in part five already. The vision for Pansy Chapel is to to know God and to make Him known from pansy and beyond. And if somebody was to come up to you and say, well, how are you going to do that? Then you would just say, well, we're going to, we will do this by nurturing intentional relationships with the triune God and with each other, focusing on the truth, living out His love. Exactly right. And so, and then we're getting into, we're just going to keep on going here. So at some point, as in this series is going to be pretty long. So we've already talked about the vision, we've already talked about the mission, and we're starting to get into some of the core practices that we do here in Pansy Chapel, things that we do. And today we're going to touch on the second one of those, uh, the second core practice, and then in the upcoming sermons we're going to talk about the other core practices, and we're even going to get into our core values, ways that we think. And so here's the core practice number two. The second core practice is this. We are and desire to be, okay? I'm just saying we haven't quite reached there yet, but we're getting there. We want to become a church of prayer as individuals, as small groups, and as a corporate body, okay? And so, just so you understand what we mean with that, we mean that people, Christians should be spending time one-on-one with God in your prayer closet, as it were. With me? We should also be praying in groups of two or three or five or whatever it is, and we should be praying in small groups. And we also should be praying collectively, like we just did a few minutes ago here, as a body, as a church body altogether. And so we desire to grow in all three of those, which is very easy to get out of one verse here. Jesus said in Matthew 21, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a a house of prayer. Let me just explain that a little bit. I'm going to use the stage as a bit of a marker. If you could imagine some Christians who, they're, they're Christians, they're believers, they just don't ever pray. And so they are Christians without prayer. Maybe all the way over here. And as you, but maybe they start to pray a little bit and once in a while, maybe God is great at a meal or, or something like that. And there's, there's little ways that they pray. And you might get to somewhere in the middle where you become a Christian or a church with prayer. But that's different than being a, a Christian or to become a church of prayer. If you are, if that describes you or our church, everything we do will constantly be bathed in prayer. 
Every decision we're making is bathed in prayer. When we're constantly, we're continually praying, sometimes with our hands folded, sometimes just in our minds to the Lord. But we're constantly, that revolves around everything. And so it would show up in meetings and it would show up every time we get together and it would become a genuine part of who we are. That's a Christian or a church of prayer. And maybe Pansy Chapel is somewhere in the middle here, but I can tell that we are headed in this direction. Amen? This is really cool. I want to say this. So Chris just led us in a time of prayer, and I love it. I can tell when he prays he's been spending time in prayer. This isn't the only time this morning he prayed. And so if you are a visitor here, or the only time you see Pansy Chapel in action, as it were, is Sunday morning, that five minutes of prayer doesn't accurately reflect how much of a value Pansy Chapel puts on prayer. It's a really good start, and it's a way that we can pray collectively as a body together. But there's many other things going on that you might not see that, t- that lead me to, to see that we are actually heading in this direction. We're becoming, we're, we're, we are taking intentional steps of becoming a church of prayer. All right? Here's some things that I see. A number of people every Sunday morning spend time praying prior to the service in one of the classrooms just down that hall. And the prayer there is not just a simple lighthearted prayer, but we're earnestly coming to the Lord with zealous prayers. There are a number of WhatsApp groups in the church where people are submitting prayer requests and, in, and encouraging each other to pray and encouraging each other with thoughts that they get and scriptures they get from the Lord and encouraging each other in prayer. Bible study groups are meeting for prayer. And not just as a way of opening up a Bible study, little one tag line and then that's it, but they're actually spending time praying over each other. Sunday school teachers in this church are meeting together for special meetings just to pray. When the elders of this church meet, we open meetings in prayer, but it is not uncommon to stop the meeting during the meetings to pray, and maybe even a second time to pray. There's a growing number of people that I know about in this congregation who have a, it's like the burden to pray is increasing in them, and it's exciting to see, and I'm sure that there's more that I don't even know about. There's people in this church who have powerful prayer giftings and are using them. And I see that in men and women in our church. And I know that there are men in this church who are getting, they're actually taking a step. It it might be a little tentative at first, but they're, they're taking a step out of their comfort zone and they're leading their wives and their families and their kids in prayer. I see it happening. Within the last week, we had to give a code. The front door has a code. We had to give the code of our front door away to somebody because they were burdened to come and pray. And this week, one day, and early on a weekday morning, they were here praying. And if you would have heard the prayers that they were praying for people in this church, I would describe it like this. As they walked through the sanctuary and on the stage and all the different places that people gather in this church, it's like, it's, it's like to me they had one hand that was the Lord was bringing people to their mind and it seemed to me like just because I got to hear some of the prayer, it seemed to me like they had one hand that was holding 
the people in our church by name. I'm sure that person could see them. And it was burdened by the things going on in that person's life. And at the same time, they have their other hand over here connected to Jesus and they can see and feel Jesus' heart for that person. And they've become an intercessor. And their interest, that person was so burdened, they got up early to come to this building to pray for people that come to this church. Those kinds of things are happening in, the, in this congregation. Last week, on a Wednesday evening, we had over 50 people drive to Pansy to come and pray on a Wednesday evening. That was before the N- NBA and NHL were shut down. Like that, that's, that's saying something when people are driving to Pansy. I'm sure people living on Pansy Road noticed there's a lot of traffic going that way just before 7 and then going that way around 9. Well, actually, there wasn't a lot of traffic. Going, there, half the people got stuck. But anyway, that's a, that's a whole other story. <laughs> that's another story. If you were there, you know exactly what we're talking about. But I want to tell you something. So the, the core practice is to become a church of prayer as individuals, small groups, and as a corporate body. At a prayer evening, we, we do all three of those at the prayer evening. We spend time each prayer evening, some time just as individuals between you and God. We spend some time in groups of twos and threes, small groups, praying over each other and to the Lord. And then sometimes we pray as a whole group. And we do all those three things at our prayer evening. But you, know, you want to know what the most beautiful sound in the entire world is? is when you have a group of 50 people or more gathered in the sanctuary and they are separated into groups of two or three and they're going to pray over each other. And so you can see scattered throughout the sanctuary, groups of two or three. And there's a moment, there's about a minute where you can see they're talking to each other and just wondering what are we going to pray about. And then there's, you can see there's a little bit of a murmur in the room then and then there's a... dies down as they're just asking the Lord, Lord, how do you want us to pray? And then there's a bit of a stillness that comes in the room. And then after that, as people begin to pray, and you cannot hear any one specific prayer, but you just get a bit of a quiet murmur as people are throughout the sanctuary are praying to the Lord, lined up with His will. That is the best, most beautiful sound you'll ever hear. Pansy Chapel is growing and becoming a church of prayer. Why do we want to do that? If you were in adult Sunday school this morning, you will notice that Dennis said that there is an authority that we follow. What's the authority? The Bible. If Billy Graham was here this morning, he would say what? The Bible says. That's actually why we want to become a church of prayer. Because in Matthew 21, Jesus says, My house will be called a house of prayer. That should be a descriptor of a Christian, and that should be the descriptor of Pansy Chapel. So this morning, I'm going to show you with a gajillion scriptures that Jesus taught prayer and he modeled prayer. And that 
The, new, the authors of the New Testament taught prayer and they modeled prayer. This is, some of this is going to go really quick, and I'm going to bring it to a close at the end. But Jesus instructed us, let me just pause and pray. Lord Jesus, as we go through some of these scriptures, some of these just bits and pieces of scripture in your word, could you come, Holy Spirit, and just ignite them inside of us? Could you begin to show us where the, the enemy maybe is trying to whisper lies into our ears? And could you show us the truth of how you see prayer, Jesus, the Holy Son of God? Amen. Jesus instructed us to love our enemies and to pray for them. He even promised that if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. When it comes to casting out the toughest of demons, he said this kind can only come out by prayer or by prayer and fasting. Jesus assumes that we'll pray. In Matthew 6, verse 5, he says, when you pray. And then in, in, verse, uh, in verse 5, he says, when you pray. And in verse 6, he says, when you pray. And in verse 7, he says, when you pray. And in verse 9, he says, this then is how you should pray. And in Luke 18, Jesus told his disciples to show them that they should, what? Always pray pray and not give up. Can I just pause there for a second? In Luke 18, verse 1, what is the meaning of the parable that follows that sentence? Yeah, that's the parable, but what's the meaning? Okay, hold on a second. Let's slow down. I'll slow down. It's, it's early Sunday morning. I get it. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. What's the meaning of the parable? That they should always pray and never give up. That is the meaning of the parable. You can go research the parable at home. But I'll tell you already, that's the meaning. Okay? We already know what the meaning is. And Jesus didn't just teach his disciples to pray. He also modeled it. And we, of course, we, think of the, we often think of the Garden of Gethsemane and how Jesus was wrestling with the magnitude of what was going on in his life right at that moment. And in Matthew 26, he says to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. But it wasn't just Jesus who was supposed to be praying in that moment. He told his disciples, he said, you also should be watching and praying. It's pretty evident that if you look at more of Jesus' life, prayer was an incredibly important part of his life and his ministry. Matthew 14, talking about Jesus, it says he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And in Luke 5.16, it says Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Can you think about that for a second? Jesus, the Son of God, often withdrew to lonely places to pray. In order for Luke to write that, it had to have been common knowledge. This is how Jesus lived his life. And yet Jesus didn't only pray in private places. There's evidence he prayed, he did pray in private places, but he prayed also with his disciples. He prayed in front of huge crowds. Some of his prayers are recorded. Some of them are really short, like be opened 
is one of his shortest prayers recorded in Scripture. And there's some prayers of his that are recorded in Scripture that are a sentence or two. There's some that are an entire chapter. And in, the, in John 17, the entire chapter, that's just, it's dedicated to recording the words of one of Jesus' prayers. It's interesting to know in that prayer, he's praying for himself. It's okay to pray for yourself. Jesus prayed for himself. He knew he needed God in his life. He prayed for his disciples. And then he prayed for all believers, and that would include you and me. That's the heart of Jesus. Jesus lived out prayer. Romans 8 says he's actually still interceding for us. But it wasn't only Jesus who taught and modeled prayer. The people that were closest to him and then wrote the rest of the New Testament in the early church, they did the same thing. They taught it and modeled it. Look how they taught, it, taught prayer. In Romans 12, it says, Be faithful in prayer. 1 Corinthians 7, devote yourself to prayer. Colossians 4, devote yourselves to prayer and pray for us too. 1 Thessalonians says, brothers and sisters, pray for us. 2 Thessalonians, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Hebrews, pray for us. The next verse, I particularly urge you to pray that. 2 Corinthians, you help us by your prayers. First, uh, Romans 15, I urge you, join me in my struggle by praying. Ephesians 6, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me. Pray that I. You guys get the language here? 1 Thessalonians 5.17, if you have trouble memorizing verses, start with this one. the whole verse. Pray continually. I think some of the other translations say pray without ceasing. It's a little longer, but it means the same thing. You can memorize that one. And it it actually reflects what what a lot of the New Testament and Old Testament, by the way, talks about. 1 Peter 4 says, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. James 5 says, if you're in trouble, if anyone of you is in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Look what Paul said. 1 Timothy 2, verse 8. I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. That's the same translation where I just read in in the Thessalonians, the two books, where it says, brothers and sisters, pray. Brothers and sisters, pray. That's a mandate for every Christian to pray. Amen? Amen? This verse, Paul's making a little, he's taking it one step farther, and he's saying, I want men, males, to pray. That Greek word is for the guys. That challenge comes from one of the greatest apostles who ever lived. 
Paul got direct revelation straight from Jesus Christ. That's how he understood the gospel. He encountered Jesus and heard his voice, and he was inspired to speak and write many words which are recorded in Scripture. He is the one who gives Timothy this challenge. This is what I want, he says. And if you understand the rest of Scripture, and I just rattle off a whole bunch of them, but not all of them, it lines up with God's heart. So here's the thought. I'm going to challenge. I know that there are husbands in this church who have... There are some husbands in this church who for years have been praying with their wives. And there are some husbands in this church who are just... They're taking a step, and it's scary. I don't know your wives, but for some guys, I almost feel like I'm getting to know their wives because it's scary for them to pray with you. I'm just kidding. I don't know. I think it probably has more to do with the husband than the wife. But anyway, it's a, it's a big deal, but I see guys in our church who are taking that uncomfortable step and willing to be a living sacrifice and lead their wives in prayer. Lead their families in prayer. Lead their church in prayer. And so here's, here's what I'm going to say. If there are husbands here today who have a hard time praying with your wife, don't let the sun go down today without taking your wife by the hand and saying, could we pray together? And wives, if you know that your husband is going to be terrified to say those words. Don't be a stumbling block to him. You know what you should do? And I'm going to say it here, and so everybody who hears me will know what we're talking about, and you won't get any weird ideas, okay? But if you know your husband is getting close to the sun going down, and he has not initiated that request, why don't you take him by the hand and just smile and wink at him? And you will know that today that means he will respond and say, could we just pray together? <laughs> Even, and so here's a word to some of the wives in the group. Some of you are more experienced in prayer than your husbands are. Your prayers might sound more polished because you've been actively praying for a long time. That's natural for you. Just encourage your husband to initiate that prayer. There is an amount of security that, and this is to husbands and wives, and I know if you're single here today, prayer still applies to you too, but I'm really challenging husbands and wives because for some reason we have a tough time with that. And if you're single and you're dating somebody, I'm going to stop on this for a second, and you're looking to somebody to date, you should pray with them on your first date. It'd be fantastic. Man, you can set set the groundwork for, hey, if we're hanging out together, this is what it's going to look like. And it's going to be really easy to pray together later, (laughs) if they still hang out with you. So... But I want to say to, to husbands and wives, there is a lot of security that comes to the wife in a marriage when the husband t- 
takes the lead of praying. And I'm not making that up. I'm quoting Sheila. I actually wasn't even going to say that. She told me to say it this morning. There is like a blanket of security that comes into your home and into your marriage. When the, when the husband takes the lead, and you don't have to be a good prayer. You could even say, can you pray with me? And whatever, it would be a simple prayer. You could hold hands together and be quiet for a while and then say amen. You can learn. But the New Testament authors didn't just teach prayer, they modeled it. In Acts 1.14, they joined together constantly in prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Their leaders even said that people, they said, we need to get people to wait on tables and distribute food so that we will give our attention to prayer. Acts 10, Peter went up on a roof to pray. And it wasn't just for leaders and pastors and elders to pray. Look what it says in Acts 21, verse 5. All of them, this is the entire church, all of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. That's a prayer meeting. In those few examples we just gave in the last minute, you can see corporate prayer as a group, you can see small group prayer, and you can see individual prayer. Listen to the prayers of the saints. Romans 1, constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. 3 John says, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you. Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. Ephesians 3, I pray that he may strengthen you with power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He says, I pray that you may have power to grasp how wide and long and high is the deep of, and deep is the love of Christ. Philippians says, I pray in, my, in all of my prayers for you. I always pray with joy. Colossians says, we always thank God when we pray for you. 1 Thessalonians, night and day we earnestly pray. 2 Thessalonians, we constantly pray. Philemon, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. And then look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. Do you know how to pray in those two different ways? If you don't, it should, it should trigger something in you where between you and the Lord, you desire to come to Jesus with these words of the disciples. Lord, teach me how to pray. That should be our humility before the Lord and say, Lord, I get it. I should be praying with my spirit. I should be praying with my understanding. I understand how you're... Lord, could you teach me how to pray? Could you give me a burden to pray? Could you give me the humility to reach out my hand and lead someone else in prayer? And we didn't talk about all the verses in the New Testament that talk about prayer. We left out a really important one which you guys have memorized already. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. And it would be good to actually memorize verse 
4 and 5 just prior to it, but this is the simple crux of it right here. Do not be anxious about anything. How many things should we be anxious about? Nothing. Can you see why that might be a relevant verse to memorize in today's day and age? Do not be anxious about anything. But in what? In every situation. Whether the stock market crashes, whether the, my car broke down, whether I lost my job, whether the world is under a pandemic watch, whatever is going on, in every situation, I'm not supposed to be anxious. Instead, here's what I should be doing. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Verse 4, by the way, tells you to rejoice in the Lord always. And he has to say it twice. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And here he says, with thanksgiving is how you pray. And then you present your requests to God. And then here's the promise that comes when you do that in your Christian life. The peace of God which transcends all understanding. In other words, it doesn't even make sense the amount of peace you will have. This is what happens when people have Jesus as their cornerstone. And if He's been your rock and now the coronavirus hits the world and we're rushing to buy toilet paper and, and you're somehow not as worried because you have this amazing peace that doesn't even make sense to the world, how did you get that? I got that because in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, I've been submitting my request to God. And then the peace of God which transcends all understanding will... Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a promise. It's not a maybe. It's not a kind of hope it will. It's a promise in Scripture. That's what will happen if you do these things. In verse 8, by the way, tells you how to think. If you want to know how the world thinks about things like the coronavirus, just look at the news. If you want to know how Scripture tells you to think, look at verse 8 and memorize it. It's like a filter, and through that filter, it'll tell you what to think about. Here's the conclusion. The core practice for Pansy Chapel is that we want to become a church of prayer as individuals, in small groups, and as a corporate body. And if you can imagine somewhere, over, I'm using the stage as an example, if this is a church or a Christian without prayer, and this over here somewhere is a, church, is, a, is a Christian or a church with prayer, thanks, and over here would describe a Christian or a church of prayer. Where are you as an individual in that scale? There are people in this church who are actually really, really, really close to being over here. And so go to that next slide. Are you already praying? If you are already over here in your Christian life, please don't stop praying. I am begging you. You need to pray. 
that we will continue to have breakthrough in this church and in this body. It's already happening. And you know what's going to happen? As Pansy Chapel grows to become a church of prayer, it's going to spill. It can't not spill. That peace that is beyond understanding will be noticed and will have an effect on the people around us, our families, and our community, and our country. But if you're not all the way at this side, if you're either one step this way of that, or anywhere over here, then I have a question. What is it that is causing us not to pray? If you're a Christian and you're not praying, there is something in your life that is causing you to stumble. The victorious Christian is able to walk in his spiritual walk with confidence without tripping. But if you're stuck over here and you're not praying, you know what's happening? There's something attached to you and this is how you're walking. And as you keep walking, you, you trip again, and it's not because you're tripping over the, just the one thing and you stepped over it and now you're gone. You know what? The thing you're tripping on like this all the time is attached to you. Let's think about this a little bit. Just think on that. But what is it that's causing you? If you understand Scripture is saying a very clear mandate to pray, And if you are not, something is causing you to stumble. What is it? If it's unbelief, maybe Satan is whispering that same famous lie he has, did God really say? Did God really say uh, prayer is important? That's why I wanted to rattle off so many scriptures to you to tell you that the Bible says prayer is paramount in a Christian's life. God did really say. And so if if you struggle with unbelief, maybe read Mark 9, 23 to 24 and study that and memorize that and confess unbelief as your sin and ask Lord to fill you and, and heal you from that. Is laziness your sin? And by the way, I know I'm being bold by saying these things are sin, but when somebody, James 4.17 says, if you know the good that you ought to do and you don't do it, it's sin. And prayer is easy to say, show from Scripture. That should be paramount in a Christian's life. Jesus desires for the church to be over there, a church of prayer. So what's keeping you from getting there? If it's laziness... Ask God, confess laziness as your sin and ask God to fill you with vigor and passion and zeal for prayer. You'll find that in Romans 12. Uh, that's the wrong reference. That shouldn't say 1 and 2. It should say 11 and 12. Romans 12 verse 11 and 12 talks about being filled with zeal, specifically in being faithful in prayer. Or... Are you filled with pride? Sometimes Christians struggle with this. Maybe they prayed and God didn't answer in the same way that they hoped 
that he would. And now they have gotten a hard heart and they actually take some pleasure in their hard heart because now they feel justified in not praying because God doesn't answer my prayers anyway. And at the root of that attitude is pride. Because in that moment we see that the, the, a, a prayerless Christian is essentially telling God, I don't need you, I got this. Really? Should the clay say to the potter, I don't need you? Are God's ways as low as yours? You could read some of those scriptures, but I want to just show this point from a really, really simple example. When we talked about, when we, in this series of messages, we talked about worshiping the Father. We talked just a little example of how big the universe was, and it's a bit hard to comprehend. Do you guys remember that? If you, if you didn't catch that sermon, listen to it. The God of the universe is a bit tough to comprehend because there's no possible way you can comprehend how big the universe is, and he spoke it with the word. I want to give you a tiny example today. Do you know that DNA is made up of three billion base pairs? In very simple layman's terms, that means your DNA has a password that's three billion characters long. It's a pretty long password. Do you know how many characters, and I'm talking about like letters and spaces, are in the Bible? So if you, everybody hold up your Bible for a second. So let's, you can Google this later or you can start counting when you get home. But from Genesis to Revelation, there are a little bit less than 5 million characters and spaces in your Bible. So if you were imagining that to be one run-on run -on sentence, but not even a sentence, actually a word, from Genesis to Revelation, that's five million characters. You can put your Bibles down. And let's just imagine that we had 200 Bibles raised in the air right now. You would need three times that many to make the password that defines your DNA. And you have that password in your DNA in virtually every cell in your body. The same password. You have trillions of those cells in your body. And there's no human on the planet who has the same one. That God who created those things that we can't even comprehend is the God that we're praying to. Do you think it's wise for the clay to say to the potter, I don't need you? If pride is your sin, we need to confess it and commit to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to have a burden to pray. Please forgive me for my pride. And pride is one of those things, maybe you should even demonstrate to yourself that you're going to let go of your pride. It might even require for you to get on your knees even when somebody else is watching. That's a way to show to yourself, I'm letting go of my pride. 
Or are you, is it distractions that are tripping you up and not allowing you to get to this place of prayer in your life? Matthew 18 is a bit of a gripping scripture. But Dennis referred to this in the Sunday school class today. Are there things that are causing you to stumble in your walk? Are there distractions? If there are distractions in your life that are keeping you from praying, you should get rid of the distractions. Is Wi-Fi keeping you from praying? This is simple. Then get rid of the Wi-Fi. Is it the news feed on your phone? Then get rid of the news feed on your phone. Is it TV or video games distracting you from praying? Then get rid of them. Is work <clears throat> causing you not to pray? Then get rid of it. What about sports? Or your mutual funds? Or anything else? You know what Jesus said? You think those are bold words? Remember how I said whatever is causing you to stumble is attached to you? It's like there's something stuck on your foot and it's causing you to stumble. You know what Jesus said you should do with it? Cut it off. And then once you cut it off, should you put it in your pocket? No, throw it away. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 8, He said, if, there, if there's anything that causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away, because it's better for you to go through your entire life without it than to have it and be thrown into eternal fire. So if there's something that's causing you to stumble and stop you from praying, get rid of it. And if you make that decision this morning to get rid of something, tell someone else what you decided. They can help you keep, keep you accountable. I wonder if this last week God didn't press pause on some of the distractions in our life. If that happened in your life, that your distractions just, that he was so gracious and loving that he pressed the pause button for you. Don't go running to something else to quickly fill that void, another distraction. Just ask the Lord, Lord, was that distraction keeping me from praying? And if it was, confess it. Here's how we're going to close the service. When the worship team comes up to do their last song, I'm going to invite everybody to just, as, if we, as we have gone through some of these things, if there is an area in your life, if you are not already a Christian of prayer, if you're any step farther back from that, and you would, I encourage you just to spend time, confess it between you and the Lord quietly, wherever is the most appropriate, 
and say, Lord, I would like to confess this as sin. You could do that right where you're sitting. In fact, if you're sitting next to your wife, you could do this right here. You could reach over, or your husband, and you could either smile and wink, or you could say, could, I just, could we just pray together? You could do that right here, even while the worship team is singing. Or you could, get, you could, you could sit in your chair and tell the Lord, Lord, I confess whatever it is as my sin, I want to be a Christian of prayer. And I'm going to invite you and give you the opportunity. If you want, and you think it would be the most appropriate, I want to demonstrate to myself and to Jesus that I'm excited and willing to pray. Maybe you even want to come to the front or get on your knees at your chair. That opportunity is there. Let's just meet the Lord in prayer this morning. So I'm going to invite us, I'm going to lead us and to begin, the worship team is going to come up and they're going to sing their last song. I'm going to begin the prayer and you guys respond as, you, as is appropriate before the Lord. Lord, Jesus, what a privilege it is to come before you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a God who reaches down to humanity. You reach down to these useless jars that are completely insignificant in comparison to you, except that you have formed them in your image. Jesus, help us to look up to you with the desire to communicate with the most amazing and gracious, loving God, the sovereign God of the universe. We love you, Jesus.